Glory to Jesus Christ. Glory forever. This evening and this weekend, we're blessed to have my brother priest, Father Michael O'Loughlin, with us. He's the pastor of the Proto-Cathedral of St. Mary's, the visiting Catholic Church in Sherman Oaks, California. A more of an introduction tomorrow, but tonight we'll just let Father Michael enrich us. Uh, it already is me just having him here. Um, it's marvelous. So welcome, Father Michael. Thank you, Father. Glory to Jesus Christ. I'm very jealous of your cantors. Don't, don't tell my cantors that, but God bless you, brothers. You, you have both skill from God, and you've utilized it well in your own work and labors. So thank you for that. A couple weeks ago, we celebrated the veneration of the true and life-giving cross. And we heard in the gospel, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow in my steps. And of course, we celebrate the veneration of the cross in the middle of the great fast, because the cross is the middle of our faith, the center of the great fast, because the cross is the center of our faith. And so the reverberations, in a sense, of the cross, the death and resurrection of Christ, goes in both directions. It goes into the future, where, of course, we are now trying to do that, obey his command, but it also flows into the past, and it blesses the entire Old Testament going all the way back to Adam. And so, of course, in this time of the Old Testament, the time of the great fast, when we hear the Old Testament, um, we have to read it with the mind of the cross. And that is actually quite easy in the reading from Genesis today. I'm sure you heard it. I'm sure you've picked up on it. I'm sure you've heard it before. But we begin by Abraham hearing from God, take your only son, your beloved son. That's the exact words that God uses on theophany. This is my beloved son, my only son, my beloved son. Listen to him. And so immediately here, reading back Jesus in the Old Testament, that Abraham and Isaac were, were explicitly an identification, a type, a illumined by the cross of Christ, a pointing forward to it of, of course, God the Son and God the Father. And in this story, this becomes very explicit, of course, because Abraham lays the wood of the sacrifice on the back of his son Isaac. He carries the knife in the fire, and Isaac carries the wood. They go up the hill, and then... He is ought to offer. God will provide the sacrifice. God will provide. The sacrifice, of course, becomes God himself, Jesus Christ, who is both the priest and the sacrifice. But something struck me about this reading, and does every single year, and that is the haste by which Abraham said yes. The haste, how quickly he was able to say yes to this, and he just did it. There's none of the emotion that if any of us were asked to sacrifice our only son, our beloved son. None of that's manifested in the story. We don't hear him doubting whether he really heard God's voice or not. We don't hear his friends saying, you're crazy. That cannot be of God. We don't hear any of that, the haste with which he acts. I have an experience when I was about 14 years old that always teaches me as a witness to my own desire for that type of haste. And that was that my best friend in middle school and high school, we used to go camping all the time. And I'd stay the night at his house, and then in the morning, we'd wake up with his dad, and we'd load up the car with all the things we needed to camp for a few days, and then we'd go and head off the next two or three nights. We'd stay out in the woods in New Mexico camping. I came born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And they would take their dog about half the time. And this dog never knew if it was going to come camping with us or not. 
And of course it wanted to. So this dog would see us loading everything into the car, and you could read its mind. It was saying, take me along with you, take me along with you. It would be dancing around the car the whole time. And half the time, we would shut the door, put the dog inside, get the car, and go. Dog would stay back with my friend Eric's parents and brother and sister. They'd go off on our camping. And half the time, Eric's dad would just snap his fingers and the dog would jump into the car. And the dog didn't need to pack anything. <laughs> it didn't need to prepare. It was so ready to go that is the moment that its owner snapped his fingers, it would jump in the car. And I thought, that's the haste I want. Why didn't the dog need to discern? Why did it need to pack? What did it need to prepare? It didn't need to do any of those things. I said, I want to be like that dog. I want to be kind of dancing around Jesus going, oh, just say the word. Whatever you want, I'll do it right now. And the whole reason that dog didn't need to pack was because it knew that we had prepared everything for it. We were going to give it food. We were going to give it water. We were going to give it everything it needed. It didn't need to prepare because we were going to give it to him. That's the model that I want. I want to be so ready to do God's will that as soon as he says, take your son, your only son, your beloved son, and go do this, I will do it unquestioningly. That's for holy people. I think another image that we see is, of course, the haste by which we see the call of the first apostles in the beginning of the Gospels. As soon as Jesus calls them, they leave everything. They leave their boat, they leave their nets, they leave their father, James and John. And the haste by which they do this, they do it immediately. Now, they're not quite as holy as this dog. The dog works on instinct, and that's, of course, the instinct that I want to have, a holy instinct, a, a readiness to go. But that's not how we are. That's not how the apostles were. The apostles needed to be prepared. And so especially these fishermen, what did Jesus say? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In other words, God had been preparing them by making them good at fishing this whole time. So all their years of studying fishing under their parents, all their years of actually fishing, all of that prepared them to be attracted to the concept of being fishers of men. They were fishermen, they became fishers of men. God preparing them their whole lives, their whole careers to follow him. What was Jesus? What was his career? Tecton in Greek. Tecton. We grew up saying carpenter, and that's true. He was a carpenter, but he built one specific thing. A tecton was actually used as a stonemason, and they used stones to build homes. Jesus was a house builder. That's what he did. So carpenter makes sense. But he was a house builder. And when Jesus says, I'm going to prepare many mansions for you, that's the King James Version. I'm not a fan. All right? But many mansions for you in paradise. If you understand, if you've ever been to the Holy Land, and you go and see what it looks like to build a house, you understand why in the Genesis it says, you know, and Jesus says, the quotes, right? When you get married, you must leave father and mother and cling to your spouse. Because every home had usually three rooms, and you would just add on. If you were building a new home somewhere, you'd build a room in the Holy Land. The weather is so nice that you spend most of your time outside or on the roof. And so you build a small room in case there's inclement weather. And basically, you cook and you live outside, but it's a small room to give you shelter. Then as your son grew older, you would build another room onto the house. If you had a daughter, you would not do that. Why? Because your daughter was going to marry someone and go live with him. 
And every son lived on an addition to his father's house. And then if the, the father was living a long time and that son began to have a son, then they would just build on a third one. There's usually three or four rooms built on. And this is what Jesus means. I have a home prepared for you. He says, I'm building you a home onto my father's home. We don't get all of our own mansions. It's not about getting luxury and exactly what I want is separation from everybody else. It's all about nearness to God the Father. He's building a home onto his father's home. And so this is what, in a sense, we see Jesus. Jesus was prepared as a home builder to build a home for us. His whole job, the whole point of the cross, was to allow us to come in union with him. And union with him meant living with him for all eternity in eternal life. So this is what God normally does with us. If we're holy, we can be like the dog. If we're not so holy, we can look back and say, Jesus has been preparing my heart for my whole life. Even, how many of you are converts or reverts? All right. So even when you were away, even if you were never here, that whole time, God has been preparing your heart to receive him. There was never a time he was not doing that. And your experiences, if you look back, if you're a convert or a revert, you will see, if the Holy Spirit wants to show you, the ways that even when you were far away from God, he was not far away from you. You were a fisherman, and he was going to make you a fisher of men. That's what God does. So we need to look backwards at our life and see how God has been preparing us, and look forward. A quick story about that. I don't know if you women know this, but we men fantasize all the time about saving the world. We fantasize all the time about doing some amazingly miraculous thing and saving hundreds and thousands of people. And my brother had the opportunity. My brother is a pilot, and he flies for, flew for Virgin America, and they now merged with, with Alaska, so now he flies for Alaska. And if you remember, probably about seven, eight years ago, uh, there was the TSA shooter at LAX in Los Angeles. And he went through, and he was only shooting TSA agents. He killed one. I think he may have shot another one. But when he walked through security and, and killed the one TSA agent and continued walking down, if you look at the news story, you'll actually see a Virgin America plane there when it shows LAX. That was my brother's flight. He was the captain on that plane. And he says, as all these people were running, because they heard the shots and they heard what was happening, they were all running, and they were running back towards the planes. So my brother's there about to get on the plane, and because he's like any man, he's prepared for this moment for his whole life. And because he's my brother, who I respect immensely, he ran at the guy instead of away from him. And pretty soon he got to a place where there was nobody else. The place had completely cleared out. And he says, I hid behind a pillar. I hid behind that pillar, and I said, he must be walking through there. And I know exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to wait till he passes this pillar. I'm going to run up behind, and I'm going to tackle him. I'm going to do what I've planned for in my, my male chivalrous mind for years and years and years. And then he saw the guy walking. He says the guy had his gun pointed at the ground, and he was walking like nothing had happened, like he hadn't just shot and killed somebody, like he wasn't about to shoot and kill many other people. And he says, and I prepared to run out. Then all of a sudden our Lord said, wait. And he put an image of my brother and his four, now he has nine, but his four children in front of his eyes. And that's all my brother said. Was, he put an image of my family in front of my eyes, and I interpreted that as saying, don't do it. Don't do it. I'll take care of this. I don't need you, is what God said to him. But I interpret that as him saying, I asked your wife if you could do this, and she said no. <laughs> he had to think of them. He was so ready, but he was even more ready by being married and having four children, and now he has five more. 
So God had other plans for him, of course. And he actually saw the man get shot right in front of him. Thank God. You know, he didn't shoot anybody else. But he was ready, absolutely ready. And, and his whole life had prepared him for both those things. The fact that he may be able to tackle and save the day, and the fact that he wouldn't and stop. And I tell him, Sean, it is so much harder to not do it in that moment. <laughs> When you want to be brave in the attention of it, you don't do it for the sake of your family. Amen. You listened well, and your wife answered correctly, <laughs> and God passed on the word correctly. So in one sense, the haste by which we can do this is because God has been preparing us our whole life. But secondarily, we need to be like that dog ready in the moment to do what Abraham did for Isaac. And how do we do that? Where do we find this, this readiness? The church guides us, and this is what my retreat over the next couple days is about. The church guides us in a very worthy way to receive the death and the resurrection of Christ. And in a sense, we're just holding God's hand and walking through the great fast. The body of Christ, the church, guides us in a very beautiful way to be ready for this beautiful moment of the resurrection of Christ. But there's a way that we must understand the, the receptivity, the, 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 the momentary receptivity, the, the willingness to go at that moment and to be guided and guarded and moved forward in that way. And I really do think that above and beyond what the church teaches, if we were truly holy, which we all hope and want to be, we actually wouldn't need the church's guidance of prayer and fasting and almsgiving. I really do think that if we had opened our hearts completely, we would go throughout the day feeling different, I've often thought if I could travel through time, I would love to just push the time travel button and, and appear in my body at some other time. And then in the moment, I just close my eyes and I stand there not knowing when the time is. And I say, by simply thinking, am I tired? Am I hungry? If I am, I'm probably in the great fast. <laughs> if I'm a little bit less tired and hungry, I'm probably in the Phillips fast. You know? And if, if I'm totally fulfilled, maybe a little gluttonous, right? I'm probably in Pasca. If I'm kind of targeting someone, I, I, I would love to actually be able to feel the fast and know what it was based upon that. But in this moment, I think that if we truly understood that God, every single day of this great fast, every single day, we don't need to overthink prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. God is going to give us the opportunity to do this. He's going to give us the opportunity to pray. And it's in the moment. We're going to be presented with opportunities, like the dog jumping into the car. I'll give you an example. There was a park right next to my church in Denver. I've been out of Denver about two and a half years. But there was a, a park in Denver near my, near my church that had the most beautiful people in all of Denver that would run at that park. And so I would drive by that park, and I would see the most beautiful women in the whole world running and jogging. And I would say, there's something about true beauty. If you look at a really beautiful piece of art, if you're walking through the mountains and seeing beautiful nature, hearing a really beautiful song, there's something built into our Christianity since God created these things. There's something built into our Christianity to say, I must respond. I must respond to this beauty. Atheists see it and they go, oh, there's some chemicals in my mind that are, that are adapting or responding to the chemicals of the beauty, the order of this art. But the Christian mind says, I must say thank you. That's what I say to beauty. This is a gift for me. I must say thank you. So I would drive by this park and I would see these really beautiful women and I would say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. You've done so many beautiful things. I must respond. Now, someone who's filled with lust would, of course, respond in a different way. And we all fight that. But if we're not filled with lust or struggling with chastity, we respond and say, thank you, Lord. That is beautiful. But I must respond. And so my response became, I would drive by the park and I'd turn my radio off. That may seem really weird. I love radio in the car. 
I have ADD really, really bad. I need a lot going on at every moment to be able to focus. So I would turn the radio off in the car and say, this is my fast. And I would respond, I would say, I'm going to pray for her, for her, for her, for her, for her, for him, for everybody. I'm going to pray for them. And I would turn the radio off in the car and I would pray as I'm driving by. And I would likely say, how do I give alms? Well, let me pray for them. Let me pray for them. That'll be my alms in a sense. I'll pray for them. In other words, uh, this demands a response. If we could go throughout the day and say, I'm going to wake up in the morning during the great fast, and I'm going to say, Lord, you give me opportunities for prayer. You give me opportunities for fasting. You give me opportunities for almsgiving. A quick, easy way to respond to the almsgiving. Since I'm not the pastor here, I have absolutely no, no dog in the race. But if we listen to the scriptures that say in the Old Testament, a tithe is 10% of our gross income. If we listen to the scriptures and say 10% of what we received, we give back to the church. And if we say, I'm going to give half of that, 5% of that, without even thinking about it, to my parish. 5%, I'm going to give it without even thinking. God has given me this money. He's given me the talents that have earned it. Give me the will to do this. I'm going to give that back. I'm going to take 5% of my monthly income, and I'm going to put it in a fund. Get a whole separate debit card, whatever I want. Get a bunch of cash. I'm going to carry it with me, and I'm going to say, Lord, give me opportunities to give this away. Give me an opportunity to sit there and say, my server in this restaurant did an amazing job. I'm going to give them a 200% tip. Some on the street corner who God calls you, yeah, actually, they need it, <laughs> and you give that away. How often do you feel guilty because you can't give enough? I do all the time. But I promise you, if we actually had 5% of our income set aside and I say, I'm going to give away this entire 5% every single month, every single month. Then if I run out, I ran out. That was what I discerned. I don't need to feel guilty anymore. This is exactly what I've received from God. I've given exactly that to God. I would highly encourage you to seriously discern giving 10% to your church and to the poor. It is so incredibly, incredibly freeing. And I know some of us cannot do that, objectively cannot do that. That is absolutely the case. And I reject anybody who says, if you give the money, God will give you more money in return. That's not truth. <laughs> but what God will give you is the ability to live without it. The ability to simplify your life and find joy even without that money. To live more simply. To not have whatever that money used to pay for. And to be happy and more joyful. That is the gospel. That God will give. But these opportunities that we come across every single day, wake up in the morning, every day of the great fast, and say, Lord, give me opportunities. Hand them to me. Offer them to me to pray, to fast, and to give alms. There's a certain open heart or receptivity that will make us be like Abraham, that will make us be like the apostles, that will make us be like this dog. Lord, I am prepared and I am ready to listen to your will, to find the miracles where they're happening, to do your will the moment you call me to do these things. And then we will have the ears to hear. Because I can tell you, anybody who's discerned priesthood like Father Michael and I, anybody who's discerned celibacy like me, I can tell you I begged for so much of my college career, Lord, just tell me what to do. Just say it. Come out of the cloud like you did to Abraham. Just say it and I will do it. And that's not how God acts. But if we can truly ask for these things, this openness, what God has prepared me to do, and this openness to respond in the moment to the freedom of answering God's call, we will have the ears to hear in these various ways. I'll talk more about that tomorrow. Amen. Glory to Jesus Christ.